Hello, and welcome to a part two of last week's Profiles of Endurance. I'm Father Scott Vanderveer. 91-year-old Joan Spelter was crippled in her 20s by an emotional disorder that almost made it impossible for her to function. Through her faith, recovery, and hard work, she fought her way back, and that has served her well throughout all of the decades of her life. Last week, we heard about her journey with the recovery program, but also we found out that her husband, the father of her five children, wound up dealing with a terminal illness and dying at age 48, leaving her as a young widow with five teenagers at home. What did she do next? You won't believe where this story goes. So settle back and listen as Joan shares with us how faith and recovery and hard work brought her a life beyond her wildest dreams. We pick up with her just as her husband is going through the trials of his health that are leading to his ultimate death at age 48 and about how settling in Schenectady after spending all of her early years in New York City provided a brand new chapter of life for her and her family. As the kids were in a great school, I loved the school. I loved everything about it. Mm. I, I really loved the community here. And I, of course, loved the house, you know. Yeah. And so we were very, it was a blessing. And everything went along fine for about maybe two years or so. And then Bill was working. Of course, he's traveling. He's going every day. He goes, went away for a week and then be home on the weekend. Then he'd go away for another week and then be home on the weekend. Then he'd be home a week. Then he'd go, now he'd use the same cycle. So we didn't see a lot of him. Mm. He wasn't really here a lot. But anyway, <clears throat> everything worked out. Now we had no car. He had to learn how to drive, wow. which he did. And he finally got a car from the company, but he had to use the car. <laughs> and then I finally learned how to drive, but that took a while. But it took a while for us to get a car, you know. We just didn't have the money, you know. We couldn't do it. And uh, I used to walk up to the price shop over the A&P at that time mm. with my little shopping cart, you know, mm. and get my, my food. But anyway... We managed, and everything went really well. Mm. And uh, but then he started getting sick. Mm. Then he had he had a, a slip disc, and had to be had surgery. Mm. Then he got over that, and then he had a, had cancer of the kidney, and he had to have that removed. Mm. Then then he um, he had a, he slipped and fell across the street, and it cracked his head. Was knocked unconscious. And that was Christmas Eve. He spent Christmas Eve in the hospital, came home Christmas Day, and then five months later had a grand mal seizure. And, mm. and then, I mean, it just went like that. You know, these are a few years in between with everything. But then it got to the point where he had a pain in his leg. And when they got examined, he had cancer of the bone. Oh. So that was the beginning of the end, you know. And uh, he died at the age of 48. He was very young. And your and, your children at that point were ranging in age. They were your oldest girls were teenagers. Yeah, we and had, I had five teenagers then. They yeah. were all yeah. oh my Joan. Yeah. So Joan, the boys let's just, were young. They let's, were thirteen and fourteen. Yeah. Let's pause a moment and say 
you you were going to recovery meetings all through this. All yes. the time. And I, I was that area leader for the whole area up here. I had, that's when we moved to Schenectady in 68. I became area leader. So, I mean, I was in, we had two other groups that were, lead, uh, that were running besides mine. Then we, we added on several more. So, in the end, we had about seven groups up here, you know. And it was very good. We had a good, a good you know, support network. It was very helpful. And so, those groups, we had leaders meetings once a month, and they were very, very good, you know. And uh, so, anyway, that was a big help to me at that time. You yeah. know, I mean, I, I, I couldn't have gotten through without recovery, that's for sure. And my faith. I mean, at that time, I didn't tell you this, in 1972, I joined the Charismatic Renewal. Mm. And I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And uh, I really, uh, the, I had the joy of the Spirit. And I did have, even during his illness, I remember praising the Lord. Every time I'd hear a bad a message from the doctor, I'd start praising him. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. And I began to get this tremendous peace. And so did Bill. Yeah. So we both went through his last illness with this tremendous peace. And, and, and even up till the night he died, when I went to the hospital, we were there with the family, and then I went back in the evening. And he, when I was going to leave, the last, my last words to him, he was falling into a coma. He had pneumonia, oh. and and uh, he he had been great during the day, so we never expected him to die. But anyway, he was. My friend was going to stay with him from our prayer group. He was a deacon in the in the Protestant church, and he mm. was a wonderful man. So he was staying there praying with Bill. And I had to go home with the kids, you know, I had all the kids. And so I said to Bill, I got to go now. Now I, and I said, I called him Bill and, and he didn't answer. I kept calling Bill. And finally he said, yes. I said, keep praising the Lord. He said, I am. And that was the last words I had with him. Wow. He, that, he died in faith, in such faith, in such faith. Yes. See, he had, now he had a terrible fear. He never could have anything in, around his neck. He always had to hold his collar away from his neck. Mm. And he, he was dreading that they'd put anything down his throat, you know. Mm. Well, they came to him and they wanted to uh, take out the, the, the fluid in his lung. Mm. He had, and he fought them off. He wouldn't let them. Oh. And that's when he died. But he... It, he needed to because he he was ready to go home to the Lord, you know. He, he really was ready. He was a saintly man, God bless him, yeah. What he suffered, he did. He did not have a happy life, working all the time, you know, mm. out not with the family, you know. It was very hard, you know. Joan, you, you had mentioned to me that he actually gave you a few gifts. He had said a few things to you that helped you with your oh, grief. Yeah. What kind of it things did. did he say to help you with your grief well, before he died? Well, we talked about him, of course, dying. He used to say to me, there'll be care because I was always praying for him to be healed, you know? And and we had got together, the family, I'd hold hands, and we'd hold him up to the Lord and everything. And then he said to me, yeah, sure. He said, Pray, keep praising the Lord. He said, they'll be carrying me down the aisle, and you'll be saying, oh, look, he's been healed. Praise the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> always make it kind of fun to me, you know? Yeah. So then... But then he did say to me, look, when I go, I don't want you thinking about me because he said, you can't live with the dead. 
you have to move on. Mm. And, and so after he died, I really had a, almost a physical reaction from him. I felt that whenever I started to think about him, I, I sensed that he was taking me by the shoulders and turning me away from him and pushing me away. Mm. As if to say, I don't want you here. You don't belong here now. You've got a life of your own. And I truly believed that God had, an, had me a, a plan for my life. Wow. And it was to meet somebody else. And I had such joy after he died. Mm. And I could have gone into a depression, which would not have been good for me. Mm. But instead, I had this tremendous joy in the Lord. I mean, I just felt that God had taken him home. He had no more pain. He was in ha happy in heaven. Mm. And now I could move on with my life, too. Mm. And I could be at joy about it and know that God had not left me. He was right there with me. And he was leading me now into a new life, you know? Wow. And that's really what helped me tremendously, you know? It's an amazing, it's an amazing strength your faith gave you. I think, I oh, think it's an amazing strength. It is. It is. It really is. I don't know what I would have done without it, you know? Now you did, <clears throat> you did have to go through some years alone though, Joan. And, and, and the dating, the experience of dating with five children with middle-aged men, it wasn't always pleasant. You didn't, oh, you no. no, it wasn't. It, so it even though you had that joy, you still had to endure a lot of trials. I did. And, and, and I have to say, uh, I wasn't always the best person in the world with these men, you know? Mm. I have to admit it. I mean, uh, but, I, but I thought everything was just fine. I had no, honest to God, I went through those eight years after Bill's death with absolutely no guilt. Yeah. I never felt anything I did was wrong. Yeah. I just felt that God was with me all the time. I had that wonderful feeling. I mean, and I know in a way it might have been uh, my imagination. I hope not. I, I think God was truly there guiding me every step of the way. Yeah. Because the way I met my second husband was such a miracle. Tell I us mean, about that. It's an amazing story. Oh Joan, talk, to, talk well, to us well, about what all, started it, happening. He was Hungarian, right? Mm. He had been. He had gone through his own hell on earth. I mean, he had a wife that was schizophrenic, mm. and so he he. I mean, he 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 left Hungary with her, and then he lived in Ireland. They took him into Ireland, so he lived as an Irish citizen there for nine years. And his wife took sick with schizophrenia, and was so sick, and there was no chance of him coming to this country as long as she was sick. He ended up getting a Hungarian psychiatrist come to, to Ireland, to the Red Cross, and she got well on a weekend. She got well. Wow. And, they, and at that time, the visas opened up to America. Before that, he couldn't have come to America. He was going to go to Canada. So, but he, when she was well, they would accept them. So they accepted them here, and he got in. He went to Chicago because a, 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 a relative had a place, a business there, and he could get a job, you know. Mm. But he had a, a really miserable life there with her. In the end, she ended up dying in, in a mental ward, you know. So he um, he had three children too, mm. and so um, anyway, his children had left home. Uh, they had. One was in the service, one was, you know, working somewhere else, and they, so they were all adults, you know, and he was looking to meet somebody, and then I was, after dating men and all, I was disgusted, I didn't mm. want to date any more men, but I thought, you know, I got, well, I was in the rectory, and they had this magazine, St. Anthony's Messenger, and it had an article about recovery in it, huh. 
and I remember it had um, Gene Kelly on the cover. Of course, it was an it was for Ireland or something with his Irish hat on or something. Mm. And I remember thinking, you know, I think I should take out a subscription to that magazine. Now, mm. believe me, I really had no interest in reading that magazine. <laughs> I have to say, <laughs> I didn't even know why I did such a thing. But I took out this subscription, right? So the first month I get the magazine, I look through it, and I see they have an ad for Pen Pal Club. So I thought, gee, maybe I want to join a Pen Pal Club. Huh. I wouldn't mind writing to somebody. And if I could find somebody from Chicago, I go to Chicago twice a year for recovery. And I would see them twice a year. That's perfect. Mm. I don't want to see anybody any more than that. That's perfect. So anyway, <laughs> for $3, I joined this thing. Right. So the first month I get it, they they list all the people and they tell you had to put a little blurb in about yourself. So he put in, you know, he was a pastry chef and he loved to see how God worked in people's lives and he loved music and camping. And I thought, oh, gee, that sounds like a nice guy. So and then I thought, but he's probably looks like the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I wrote to him. Right. So then. He gets a, sends me back a letter and he sends me a picture. Well, he was this handsome guy, you know, mm. thinking, holy cow. Well, anyway, we started writing and this went on, well, for probably, it was probably two years before we actually got engaged and married. But, you know, during that period, I saw him in Chicago once and we, he took me to a, a dance for recovery and we, we got to know each other better. And, and of course, he was so impressed with recovery dance because here's all these former mental patients having a great time Aww. laughing having fun and of course all he ever saw was the dark side of mental illness you know mm. with his wife so you would have thought he would have ran away from me never toward me after having a wife with with schizophrenia you know sure. but that didn't happen he was like just so enthralled and another interesting thing happened when he took me to the airport the first day we spent together which was lovely we had a lovely time I could not resist this man. Oh. I, I felt this affection for him that was so powerful. I kept kissing him on the cheek. And and he even, of course, he was a guy who hadn't been kissing women for a long time. Yeah. I don't know how long, I mean, because his wife was sick so many years. But anyway, I mean, I'm sure it, it really impressed him a little, you know, like, wow, where is that coming from, you know? Yeah. But I just was taken with this guy. So anyway, we kept writing, and then I saw him again another time, and then we, right after that, we got engaged. And then we didn't know how we were going to get together, because his job was in Chicago, right? Mm. How's, how's he going to come here? I had a girl in church who worked for this beautiful place, Villa Italia, restaurant i mean pastry chef pastry shop rather yeah and uh, i told her about my future husband and i said i can get the resume if you could bring it there she said she would so we, we made a resume i made a resume up for him over the phone and then i gave it to her she get, brought it to this guy the boss and he had a relative in chicago huh. so he told the relative to go to the shop where henry was and test out his pastries so he did, and he told the guy, they're fantastic, you know. Oh. So he said he would hire him. That's, that's, now think about all this, you know what I mean? Miraculous. Anything could have gone wrong. So now, he had, then he had a wonderful summer home that he loved dearly, so he had to give that up. 
And he, he decided to come, and he came here January 1st, 1984, and wow. we were married January 28th. And when we were married, we had four priests on the altar. <laughs> I mean, it was, the priest that married me was like my confessor. I used to go to him and tell him all my troubles, you know? Mm. And in fact, he, he said to me, I was his spiritual wife, you know? Because <laughs> that, he told me his troubles. So, I mean, but we, we, Henry had never had this kind of experience. Of course, neither did I. I mean, we stood around the altar while the priest said the, the, the mass. And I mean, it was just beautiful. Wow. And my kids played music. Joan and Bernadette. Bernadette played the flute. Joan played the guitar and sang. My boys did the readings. I mean, it, and all my charismatic friends were in the church. So at the end of the, the mass, we're leaving the church and the, 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 we're singing, this is the day that the Lord has made, right? Mm. And we're walking up the aisle, praising the Lord, and nobody left. They all stayed singing, praising the Lord. Oh. It was so cute until oh. it was over, right? And then they came up. So that, and then, of course, we had a wonderful reception with fun and dancing. Oh, it was beautiful. But none of that, that was all a miracle. I mean, anything could have happened that would have kept him and I from how many bazillion things where we wouldn't have met each other, you know? And it's been 36 years of joy for you. Oh, it has. It has. This man... I mean, he didn't know much about the church too much. He was he was four years in a in a in a Franciscan school um, when he was from ten to fourteen, I think. And but after that, he did not have a lot of understanding of the Catholic Church or anything. And he had married outside the church. His wife and him were married in a Protestant church, so he had to kind of get himself back on track, you know, mm, which mm. he did, which he did. But what was beautiful about it from the very beginning? He put himself totally into the church. Mm. And I mean, he came to with me to mass, charismatic masses. And I mean, he was a part of everything with me, you know? Wow. And he started reading and studying the Bible. He had read the Bible through six times. Wow. And I mean, he has records of books he's read on, you know, uh, Fulton Sheen's books and all kinds of books, but you know, uh, C.S. Lewis. I mean, he read everything. I mean, he has self-educated himself and the, and the catechism of the Catholic church. And I mean, he's known, knows that all the way through. He's done that. He's doing it again. He'll do it again. Like each time wow. he's unbelievable. He's a saint, a oh. saint, never mean to me, never says an unkind word. I mean, he's just a gift of God to what me. What a boy. Thirty-six years. I just thank God every day. You know. Uh, well, so I, I just and I go back to this is the woman who, at one point, at an earlier stage of her life, uh, felt absolutely imprisoned by by her fears yes. and anxieties. And yes. listen, this is the same lifetime, the same person. Right. All of that joy and courage and willingness to to take risks. It's right. really it's. Oh, tell you I went to school. <laughs> this is now this is it one of the biggest things. What people yes. so let's start off when you were raising your family, you had not yet gotten a bachelor's degree, is that correct? No, I never went to college. All through uh, until Bill died. When Bill died, I was a teacher's aide, and they gave free courses at the community college. So I went down and took one or two courses, and I got A's, and they told me, you ought to take, you know, come in seriously and may maybe take a program. Mm. So I, I decided to try it. 
after Bill died, I thought, well, you know, that's right. I'll get, I'll get some uh, aid, you know, to mm. school. So I did. So I did so well there. And that was with the help, grace of God. And that, that they said, you should transfer to a four-year college. So I went over to the College of St. Rose and applied. And they said, we'll give you 18 credits toward your your schooling here. So I did. I, and, but I got a degree. I even was in a class with Joan. <laughs> she could tell you that story. Your daughter, Joan. Your daughter, yes. Joan, took a class you were <laughs> I love it. And, and the, the teacher, uh, one time we had to do a, a program together, her and I. And I, I, I made a joke. And the teacher was a very serious guy, you know. So uh, I told this joke about a slow boat to China or something. I was doing a report on Japan on the on the, uh, factory system or something like that, mm. you know. And so <laughs> when I did it, Joe said, and I said, I, I kind of poked the teacher and said, but the, like when I made the joke, you know. Mm. And she said, Joe, Ma, nobody touches Professor Allen. Well, after that, <laughs> she was scared to death that we wouldn't get A's, you know, but we both got an A for the program. So anyway, I graduated with a bachelor's in, in sociology, and I, I went to work at a, a, a place, uh, actually, it was not much, but it was the first start for me, you know, mm. and I, I was working, and then I got the thought, uh, I heard about this job at the Salvation Army to work mm. with my girlfriend. And I looked into it, and they said yes, that they would hire me. So at that time, I also had the thought to go back to school for my master's. Mm. Now, I was 52 years old now, 52. Mm. So I, I go over to SUNY, and they accept me. They said I can go f at night. And I it would take four years for me to go at night. I said, fine, no problem. Because see... Always remember, I watched if God was leading me, mm. because if God was leading me, he would open all the doors. Yes. They would just open. Yes. And I always said to him, if it's not your will, just close the doors. I yes. didn't care one way or the other. So anyway, uh, the doors just kept opening, you know? I, and so I got $5,000 from the Salvation Army for my master's degree. I just had to keep a B average. So anyway, I started going to school there, and I went at night worked during the day. I was I became uh, head of the uh, social program there at the Salvation Army and of course they would be bragging about, they liked the fact that I was charismatic, <laughs> that I was born again, you know, oh, they liked that. I bet. They, of course they're a different faith, you know, yes, and, uh, yes. but you know, I was able to get them so that they didn't uh, have these comic books about the Pope, you know, with stuff and stuff they used to put out. I had them, I told them I would not put up with that uh, at the place. Uh, so they got rid of him, the captain. He really was very good. He was very good. And so we got along fine. And uh, and anyway, that's when I married Henry, because I married him in 84. Mm. I was working for the Salvation Army and going to school. And then I got my master's in 86. And then I stayed with the Salvation Army till 92. Mm. And then I, I decided to study for my <laughs> counseling in uh, alcohol counseling, my certification. And I got that. On and then top I to of your master's. So now this is a right. woman who didn't start until, were you in your 40s when you started your bachelor's? I was 47. 47. You, you started as a 47-year-old woman who'd lost her husband. So a 47-year-old widow with five <laughs> children goes to college. It goes so well, she gets her master's, and then she gets advanced certification in substance abuse. Right. And so I went to work for an outpatient clinic, and I worked with them up until 
probably 1998, because what happened was my boss was doing some shady stuff. Ah. And we got caught by the attorney general's office, you know, mm. and he was really going to end up almost in jail. But, you know, he lost uh, his a lot of uh, support, like from uh, Medicaid, which was a big part of his income, mm. the Medicaid patients and everything. Mm. So I worked for a little while for him uh, uh, part time. And then I just had to quit because he was going to have to close the business, you know. And But thank God, at least my name wasn't hurt through that, you know. Because I would have everyone that worked for him nervous, you know. Mm. And But we were okay because it was him that did all the, the wheeling and dealing, you know. So anyway, I left there then and then I thought I was finished. I'm done. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm retired. I'm home. That was 98. And then in 19, um, 2017, my friend uh, came by one day and said, Joan, why don't you uh, go back to counseling? And I said, what do you mean back to counseling? I've been, I've been retired. Well, you can get your license back. And oh. he said, told me about psychology today. And they, they could, take on my they would help me and they would get me clients and everything and this easy program so i looked into it i had to get 46 credits to get my license back within a year wow and so i went i went i got went to one program i got eight credits another program i got 10 credits another program four. by the end of the year i had 46 credits and i got my license back and so i started then private counseling and I've been doing it ever since. I mean, mean, for anybody who's doing the math who realized that you were, you know, raising kids in the 60s when you came to Schenectady, you were in your middle, later 80s. When oh, well, I was 88 or 89. Let me see. I'm 91 now. I'll be 91 the end of next month. Just amazing. I, let's just <laughs> pause again for a moment. Let's pause. That would be amazing if your entire <laughs> life had been nothing but easy street. But for, <laughs> it's the same it's woman. Oh. And you know, you know, Scott, when, if you were to ask me before this all started, what kind of a life did you have? I would have said wonderful. Oh, yeah. I've had a wonderful life. Because yeah. I feel like that. Yes. I have no self-pity or like, oh, poor me, I didn't know, you know, oh, I did. none of that. I, I just am so joyful that my life is the way it is and the way it's been. I mean, as I said, when my, after my husband died, even before, when I'd be with my children, we would be laughing. Humor was big in our family, mm. you know? It still is. When we get together, it's a lot of laughter. Mm. And we would be in the living room watching these great, in those days, there was some good humor on TV, you yeah. know? And we would watch some of those crazy shows. Uh, Saturday Night Live at that time had Gilda Radner. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it was like, everything was so hilarious. We'd be falling over laughing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and but we just got along well. We got. I always said in my home, love spoken here. I would never allow any of the children to break out into fights in my home. Mm. They were just not allowed to do that. Mm. And I always treated them with please and thank you. Mm. Please, please, would you do this for me? Thank you so much for doing that. You know. Mm. And I really. I mean, I'm trying to brag about myself, but this was something that I learned because of my home life was so much the opposite. Yes. You know? 
Yeah. And I thought, I'm never going to have a home like that, you know, never. And so I really worked at that. And like, I always remember one time when Bernadette was my youngest girl, was a little one, about two or three, and probably three. And Mary Teresa was the older one. And she said to her, you know, you be, go ahead and do that for mommy. She makes you feel so good. Oh. I remember her telling it. And I thought that was, it didn't take much, you know, just that thank you and oh, how nice. That was so sweet, you know, something like that. You Doing know? a chore for mommy felt good because mommy would affirm you and thank you for your effort. Exactly. And the same thing with Henry and I. From the day we got married, Every morning we pray together. Every morning we we call the good morning, sweetheart. Good morning, angel. How are you? Mm. We start every day like that. Mm. And and I'm telling you, that's what kept our marriage. We still feel like teenagers when it comes to loving each other. Wow. We love each other very deeply, oh. and we're not a, a, ashamed to show it. We were, yeah. The kids get ashamed. Okay, mom. TMI. TMI. That's enough. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, Well, Scott, you heard everything now. Jeez, there's no secrets from you. Well, I love it. We're so, you've been so generous. But let let me ask you now. It sounds to somebody just listening to your life right now, like you don't have any, you don't have to do any work with spotting any longer. You don't have any anxious thoughts. And that's not true, is it? No, that's not true. One of the things you learn in recovery is that uh, there is a difference. There's nervous persons and nervous patients. Mm. Now, I was a nervous patient when I came into recovery because I attached danger to symptoms. If I had like a lowered feeling, I think I was going to have a depression and I'd work it up, you know, go into all things. Or if I had a, a palpitation, I was sure I was going to have a heart attack, you know. Mm. It would always be an extreme reaction. So you learn in recovery to have the symptom, but don't work it up. Don't make yes. an issue of it. Drop it. Move on. Everyone has nervous symptoms. Everyone. I don't care who you are. You're going to go through anxiety. You're going to have fears at times, but don't make an issue of them. Learn how to let them run their course. Just leave them alone. Don't blow them up. Don't make an issue of them. And but that's what recovery teaches me. I still have what we call recovery. Doctor Lowe says, expect a setback. Everybody gets a setback. Mm. Everybody. And now the setbacks can be strong and strong long, or they can be short. It depends on me. How, how about I go back to the method and really start applying it again mm. and getting serious down to the business of my mental health. Once I do that, I'm back on track again. I pulled in all the reins and I'm okay. And I move on, you know? So, I mean, sure, there's great periods when I feel really good and spontaneous, but there's also periods where I do forget. I don't watch my temper. I don't mm. watch, you know, different areas. And when I don't, I pay the price. Yeah. You know, yeah. I get the setback. But thank goodness you now have tools so that when you are paying the price, it doesn't mean that you've you've lost the anchor. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I go right back to the method. As you look back over your life, one of the questions I like to ask people in this series of conversations we're having is, do you think there's a lot of folks who would look back over their life and realize, I think everything happened for a reason, and other people feel differently? What do you think about that? Did everything in your life happen for a reason? Oh, definitely. 
I mean, it's, it's not even so much a reason as it is a blessing mm. like, like that. I, I remember at one point thinking, what good is this illness? You know, I, I, when I was sick with my nerves. I mean, it was awful. I had these awful thoughts and everything. You know, what good is this? But then God showed. And I remember sitting on the toilet, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> and thinking, Oh my God! Why have you forsaken me? Yeah, that's how I felt, you know. Yeah. And but you know, I I look back on that and I say, look what that has done, what recovery's done in my life. Look at the people that I was able to, to touch, not because of me, but because of my history and what God has done for me, you know. Oh. And look at I would never would have met Henry. If I didn't wasn't in recovery, yeah. it was only because of a recovery that I went to Chicago yeah. and met him. So I mean, I see God's hand throughout my life and my children. I had one son who needed the program when he was going to get married. Mm. He was getting anxiety actions about it, mm. and I told him, I said, Tom, because I think he was even t- tossing up whether he should have a religious vocation mm. or get married. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, Tom, this is not a religious problem. Mm. You have an anxiety problem. Mm-hmm. I said, come to my program for three months, and then after that, see what you think. Mm. He came, and he made a total effort in it. And after three months, he was free of his anxiety, and he got married. And has, thank God had a wonderful life with a beautiful woman and two beautiful kids. Yeah, and they're the joy. So, they're such joy for you. So, I mean, it, this this oh, program really does allow things to happen that oh, we could have we 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 really could get short short sighted and 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 sidetracked if we if we don't stay open to what exactly, is possible. Exactly, and to see God's hand, I recommend everybody make a timeline where they look at all the things in their life. Because, I mean, I'm not the only one that has these heartaches. People have them all the time. Yeah. And I thought if you can sit and make a timeline and then look honestly look back and see God's intervention. Yeah. It's there. It really is there. You will find that after a certain period, something happened that was so beautiful, so special, that you can't believe it even now, you know? Well, why don't we do that even right now for the for those who are listening? Let's just take a moment of quiet and just ask ourselves, how has this conversation spoken directly to you and to your life? How are, what What blessing was given to you by listening to Joan's story. Where in your life are you in need of a shift that could allow for possibilities that right now are being thwarted by something that's interrupting what God has planned for you? Right. How beautiful to take a moment to savor this conversation and be grateful for it. Joan Spelter, you are a blessing in my life and in the lives of your clients and your family and this world. And I thank you for taking the time with me today. And I am praying for you to have a path ahead of endless joy and strength. And thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you for this opportunity to share my life. It made me so aware of God and the blessings that have been poured out on me, you know, and we don't always take time out for that, you know, and I just thank you for that opportunity. Oh, thank you. Thank you for letting me bask in it and for all of our listeners and to all of you out there. Thank you for joining us. May God bless you all.